Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And for the second episode in a row, I am releasing an interview with another podcaster. His name is Justin Colby. I'm excited about this interview. Um, I've known Justin for a little while now, and um, we have a lot in common. One of them being we love podcasting and we love real estate. <laughs> and so love doing deals. I'm excited to interview him and introduce him to you guys. He's got a great show at the Science of Flipping podcast. You got to check that out. But first, I want to tell you, uh, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com. Um, if my s- sequence or my order of episodes is correct, um, the last episode we just released was with was with another podcaster named Matt Terrio, um, great guy. And in fact, all of these, a lot of these guys I'm interviewing are in the we're in the same mastermind together. And I talked a little bit about it on the last episode about the importance of masterminds. So I encourage you again. If you're not a part of a mastermind, sign up, get one, start one. Uh, they're amazing. They're awesome. But but go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. We got a lot of great shows in the past that are available for you to download and listen to. Also, I want to ask you to leave a review in iTunes. Um, iTunes is a great place to go to get some pretty fantastic um information on real estate. If you go to iTunes and just do a search for real estate investing or real estate, you're going to find um, boy, at least a dozen or more really, really good podcasts out there on real estate investing. And if, if you look at ours, if you go to real estate and you look up real estate investing mastery, uh, you'll find us near the top. We're getting there, we're getting close. But uh, we have a lot of really good reviews from folks. And I'm just opening up right now. I want to read a recent review. This is from Matt JB. Matt JB, five stars, great podcast. He says, this podcast has been amazing for, for someone wanting to get into the wholesaling houses business. Joe and Alex are super knowledgeable and have a heart to help people in this industry. It's an expansive resource of high-level insight from people who are actually thriving in their markets and want to share their journey. They really hold nothing back. I am always excited to hear what they come out with next. We appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. Another one from K Frank I2. Awesome content, five stars. Joe, Alex, and all your guests, you all provide amazing content in these podcasts. I have more episodes to listen to, and every episode takes my makes my business better. Thanks for all your hard work. Well, we appreciate that. And there's a lot of good reviews in here. So if you leave us a review in iTunes, I don't know, about 10, 15 episodes ago, I had a podcast called Leave Us a Review, Get Free Stuff. And if you leave us a review, positive or negative, and then you email my office, we'll go ahead and send you uh, some books, like uh, electronic ebooks that we've written and some videos. I did. I think I'm including in there also a Saturday workshop that I did on wholesaling lease options. And I'd love to send that stuff to you. So we appreciate the reviews. It helps us in the rankings in iTunes. It help us, helps us spread the word. Okay, so enough of that good introductory stuff. Justin, how are you, my man? What's up, dude? I love that introductory stuff. <laughs> it That's is fun. Good stuff. It is fun. And Alex is normally with me on these episodes. Uh, he couldn't make this one. But sometimes our introductions get too long. 
and I can I can hear people rolling their eyes over the over my headphones <laughs> because yeah. so I try to condense them down as as short as I can. But um, Justin, what is your podcast called? It's called The Science of Flipping. So uh, the science of flipping on iTunes, just like yours. Yes. Uh, in fact, I think uh, we were, you know, both on the uh, what is it, new and noteworthy for some time together, yeah. pretty much side by side. And um, yeah, you know, we've known each other for a while now. And so uh, the science of flipping is my podcast, and the science of flipping dot com is uh, the website uh, that uh, you can find my episodes on. Uh- Justin has a really good podcast, guys. You got to go subscribe to it. Um, like I said before, there's a good 10, 12, 15 really good podcasts out there, but Justin's is one of the best. Next to ours, you know, <laughs> one of, of the course. best out there. One of the of best out there. Of course, next year's, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Justin, what? talk a little bit about yourself real briefly. How did you get started in real estate? What were you doing before you got in real estate? In 2005, well, I'll make it a very brief, but in college, my buddy and I decided we wanted to go into real estate. We were both going to UCLA, and we wanted to go into real estate. His father was a developer. Mm-hmm. So he said, let me go learn the business. You know, you go do whatever you need to do for the next year or two, and then uh, let's start a real estate brokerage. Uh, it happened exactly like that. In, I graduated in 2003. In 2005, we started a real estate brokerage. In 2007, I left the real estate brokerage to become a full-time real estate investor um, with my still business partner and best friend, Eddie Rosefield. Um, and we have been uh, pounding the streets ever since and, and rocking and rolling, and, and our business has grown each and every year. That's awesome. Now, you got so you got started in about 2005? Technically, yes, but not as an investor. As an investor, I got started in 2007. Okay, so you got started maybe at one of the worst times in history. Unbelievable. Right. It was incredibly horrible timing. <laughs> it was really bad. But, uh, you know, again, I'm still here almost eight years later. And, um, you know, I don't know if there's ever the right or best time to do it ever. Uh, but we found a way to get it done and, and progress to where we are today in 2015. Nice, nice. Okay, so when the market crashed... Were you owning any real estate at that time? Uh, just personal, and I lost it. Okay. Um, I owned a $500,000 condo, two-bedroom condo, um, and I lost that. My business partner owned a four-bedroom house. He lost that. So we definitely have gone all the way down uh, personally, mm-hmm. um, and we have built it all the way back up to now running a seven-figure real estate business, and um, we are – a statistic as far as that's concerned. We went through the exact same troubles and heartache as many of your listeners and many of my listeners went through. And um, we just had the mentality we would never give up and never quit. And, and here we are. I love it. And the people that had that attitude are thriving. In fact, um, I was reading somebody else's email and he was talking about Sam Walton. And the amazing thing about Sam Walton, and I read his book maybe 15, 20 years ago, a long time ago. Um, the guy declared bankruptcy like three times. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, you know, Sam Walton, the, the conservative guy from Arkansas who drove a truck, you know, that yeah. uh, everybody loves, the, the, the model of capitalism, you know, because he tried really hard to keep jobs in the United States and built this huge company and has probably more than any person 
in American history has, has created more jobs, whether you agree with, with Walmart's hiring practices or their compensation or whatever. I mean, the guy has – he's an amazing story. But he failed – many times before getting to where he, he was. And, and when he, he was growing Walmart, his credit uh, stunk, you know? <clears throat> he had like three bankruptcies in his credit report. He's still able to pick himself up and succeed in business. In fact, I was also reading somewhere the, um, he claimed, and I, I, I wish I could remember the exact quote, so I'm paraphrasing here. Um, but when it came to dealing with people in business, he didn't he had a harder time trusting them if they had never failed. So sometimes it, it was a prerequisite to have a bankruptcy or a failure in business because nobody has a string of 100% success, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to, you know, I have a lot of students. I do a lot of high-end coaching, and I know you do some yourself. And I have a lot of students who, you know, say, oh, I spoke to this investor and They've never lost money on a deal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just sit there and I say, listen, you know, I've done well over 300 deals. I'm probably getting close to 400 if I had to count exactly. And, you know, I can sit here and say we've done very well and I can show you our bank account. But at the end of the day, we still have done deals that lost us money. Mm -hmm. And if someone ever tells you they haven't, to all you listeners out there, um, just don't believe them. You, you don't do here's, – here's the reality is – if they have never lost money, it's because they've never actually done a deal and or they've done one deal, they made money and they don't have anything more than that one deal to say they've never lost money. Um, it's just, it would be crazy to have any business person who is successful and who has been in, in business for several years to sit there and tell you they've never lost a deal or never gone through hardship. So I'm right there with Sam Walton. Uh, my bank account isn't right there with Sam Walton. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm right there with that same belief. Well, good. All right, so you've, you've, you've seen the highs and the lows of real estate. And you, you live to survive. You live, you live to tell the, a story, um, which I love. I love hearing those stories of redemption. Because I, I imagine when you were going through that, in 2008, 2009, the market was tanking. You know, you were losing the house that you were living in. And I, I did a short sale. I had to do a short sale on, on the house that I was living in in um, 2008, 2009, I think. So, yeah, I totally understand. I get it. It's tough. It's hard. And you look at that and you, you look at your circumstances and you think, you know, could it get any worse, <laughs> right? Right. But it, it does. It gets, it gets a lot better. Anyway, so Justin, um, right now you're doing a lot of deals all over the country, and we just saw each other in Dallas. We, I, I was speaking at a real estate investment club, and we were talking about what you were doing there, and you're actually now, um, you've done a lot of deals in California, but now you're starting to do more and more deals in different parts of the country. Is that right? Yeah. You know, we really focused primarily in Phoenix, Arizona over the last eight years, always kind of had the opportunity to jump into other markets. Um, but right now our next market coming is Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And, uh, I thought you were in California for some reason, but you're in Phoenix, California. I started real estate in California, but we started real estate investing here in Phoenix. Okay. What year did you yeah. start in Phoenix? Oh, seven. Oh, seven. Okay. And then, so you're, you're in Phoenix now and you've done most of your deals in Phoenix, but you're now you're starting to look at doing more deals in different parts 
of the country and Dallas is one of the markets you're focusing on now, right? Correct. Right now we're actively in Dallas. Um, we are looking at Houston and Chicago as the next markets we will be jumping into. Good. Focus there is we have associates there. We have boots on the ground. You know, we have people that we can utilize and that we would feel comfortable to be able to rely on comping properties, you know, taking pictures of properties. And quite frankly, we have buyers there. And, you know, as a wholesaler, that's going to be your biggest key is making sure you can get a property under contract anywhere in the country. Um, but are you going to be able to unload it? And so our focus really is to have those real solid buyers in each and every area that we're in. One of the reasons why you're in Dallas is to network and meet some buyers. And I thought it was so cool because we were there. There's a lot of investors, a lot of big players, and you actually hustled and you found some pretty serious, deep-pocketed buyers. Is that right? Will you talk a little bit about how you, how you found these buyers? Yeah, you know, I, the, the way I, I always look at our business is there's only one of two ways to find a seller or find a buyer. Uh, you either can market for them, send mail, billboards, radio, and market for them, um, or you can network. Um, very similar to you. I know you speak at a lot of RIAs across the nation. Um, RIA meetings, uh, you know, that, that what you and I were just at was the uh, Real Estate Investing Expo. Um, you name it, I'm networking, right? Because at the end of the day, you can spend one of two things. You can spend your money or you can spend time. Um, we have the luxury of being able to spend both. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, I hustled. I'm always going to be a hustler. That's who I am. I'm not afraid to, to go into a market, go to some networking area, start talking about, you know, what we do, what we're looking for and how we can put deals together because we're all in this game together. And if we can play together, everyone's going to make a lot more money. It's the individuals who don't have an abundant mindset and it's all about me, me, me. Those are the ones that I don't work well with. You know, we need to have an abundant mindset because we're going to do more deals, which means we're going to make more money. So, um, you know, I didn't do anything. You don't teach yourself. I went in there, shook some hands, introduced myself. Um, inquired about what people were looking for, how I could be of help. Um, and by the time I left, I had six fund buyers in my pocket, on top of which probably about four or five um, fix and flip buyers. Um, and so by now, I'm ready to go drop 10,000 mailers and, and do what we do best, which is drive leads in and uh, send them over to our buyers. And that's one thing I want to talk with you about because you made an interesting comment while we were talking about how you're taking what is working for you in Phoenix that you were doing in your backyard and you're just replicating it. It's a formula and I like the science of flipping, right? It's a, it's a repeatable formula that if you plug in this variable, you're going to get this out of it and that could be potentially become a deal, right? 100%. I'm, I'm a systems guy, right? And even more so than me, my business partners is, is a systems guy and, there is a system and an organization to everything we do. Yeah. And it's uh we can take this and we could do it, you know. We've talked slightly about like franchising or licensing our business and we could do that, but we could we could literally do that because of the systems we have behind us. In fact, I'm um, likely going to license a avenue to get more sellers here shortly because it's a proven system and it doesn't take anything besides following the system just like a McDonald's. And so we're going to probably license that across the nation to those um, who are looking to find more sellers because nice. the system works. It's all about your systems, and, and I know you know that. Well, let's talk about some of those systems, if that's all right. 
what what are the systems that you can copy and do in other markets? Like, you're not obviously looking at these houses before you send them a contract, so you you you're able to do this in your own backyard in anywhere in the country. And I've talked about this a lot on the show. Let's start with marketing, okay? Um, you've already gotten the buyers figured out, which I, I, I think is really important for people to recognize. You went out and found the buyers. You found out what they're looking for and what are the best places to market. And you found out what their needs were. Now, how do you start marketing for sellers? What do you, how do you get your lists? What I'm going to do, so I'm a direct mail fanatic, okay? On top of that, I, what I was talking about licensing is finding leads online. No one has perfected it and we're getting very, very close to doing it. Um, huh. but let's just, let's start with, uh, direct mail marketing. Like you said, there needs to be a list and there's several providers. Uh, my good friend, Kent Clothier, he and I run a coaching program together. He has a software, um, that will provide me with as many sellers, high equity, free and clear vacant sellers as I could handle in state, out of state owners, doesn't matter. Um, so that is one list provider. There's another resource that can be used, uh, list source.com is another provider and so there's a lot of you know title companies can provide you with lists um, and title companies typically are free um, if you build a good relationship with them so there's a lot of different list source providers out there um, and we kind of combined all of those to find our list in fact we have a very ninja way of kind of working the MLS to pull certain lists as well so, you know, between the three or four avenues that we use, you know, we're sending anywhere from 10 to 20,000 mailers a month, just direct mail. Now, again, I told you we have a marketing budget. I mean, we're, we're, you know, very real and doing business and making money and some people don't, you know, and yeah. so you have to be a little bit more organic, right? Bang the uh, Craigslist for sale by owner, for rent by owner, um, back page, uh, you know, you can start door knocking in certain areas. You can start working with wholesalers and doing JV wholesale deals and finding wholesales on Craigslist and so on and so forth. So, you know, depending on, you know, your marketing budget, there's a lot of different ways to find those sellers, you know, and, and specifically if the title company gives you a list of, let's just say people who bought their homes from 1970 to 2003 in the zip codes that you want, well, you don't have a lot of money, throw some rocks in a bag, tie it to one of your flyers and throw it on their driveway. Because <laughs> guess what gets picked up every single time? Mm -hmm. A bag of rocks in the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I've seen people do that to my driveway before. Right. It, it and I gets, bet you picked it up every time. It gets your attention. You think, what is this? Um, now, you've, you do a lot of marketing. Obviously, you have a budget. And that's how you understood the importance of lead flow and, and it does take money to do marketing like that. What do you, how do you handle the volume? Cause you get a lot of calls coming in. How do you yeah. set up your call center or your negotiators, the guys who are on the phone taking the calls? Walk through that part, would you? Yeah, we have a lead manager. Um, his name's Anthony. He is the one that takes in the call. In fact, we use Podio just like you do. I think it's the greatest invention to our real estate industry for a long time. Yeah. And I know you're a big advocate yourself. And so when the lead comes in, we have the number, we have the voicemail. He reaches out to the seller and intakes all of the uh, info. At that point, if it gets to a point where they're interested and motivated, he will hand that lead off to the acquisition manager, Danny. 
And Danny will then go out and meet with the seller um, with our property runner, David, who David will be taking pictures for us and Anthony will start to kind of negotiate with the seller. Um, and Danny has, I'm sorry, Danny starts to negotiate with the seller and Danny has full autonomy to submit the offer right then and there because before he goes out, my partner Eddie does the underwriting of what we would buy it for. Okay. Well, let's rewind a little bit. The the calls on your the phone numbers on your postcard, do they go to a live operator, a voicemail? How do you do that? Voicemail. We use Ring Central. Okay. It goes to a voicemail. We never pick up live, and I know some people don't agree with that, uh, but we'd rather it be a calm um, environment. Uh, too often you find yourself picking up the phone when you're driving or you're in the store or whatever because you think it's a seller, um, but we'd rather just call them back. So does your postcard say call our 24-hour recorded message hotline or whatever? No. Or po- you know, we actually send a, a letter and it says something general like, you know, we're a local investor. Uh, we see you own 123 Main Street. We are interested in purchasing your home. If you are interested to speak with us further and or know more about what your home is worth, please give us a call at any time. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Something generic like that, very close to that. Um, and we get a very good return on that letter. Nice. Um, and so, you know, they call whenever they want to call. We never answer, and it just goes straight to voicemail. Um, and even if they don't leave a voicemail, Ring Central will capture their phone number so we can always call them back. And how quickly do you call them back? You know, like ASAP, unless they call at 8 p.m. Right. But, you know, like today, I think we had a call at like 11 or something. By 11.02, Anthony was on the phone calling them back. And, and how important is it to call them as quickly as possible? Very, very. I mean, we give very little excuse on, you know, why someone wasn't called immediately. So I'm all over these guys about, you know, because I get it. I get a message every time someone calls. Yeah. So within five minutes, I'm like, did you call them back yet? And they have to have a pretty damn good excuse for not doing it. You know, if it's 8 p.m., right. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, but if it's within, you know, till 6 p.m., let's call it. They they got to be on that phone. The it is super critical, and I've seen studies. I don't remember the numbers, but it's about you know eighty ninety percent. Your chances are about eighty ninety percent better if you call them back within five minutes, and like every minute after that, it just dramatically drops down. Right, your chances of getting them, and that right. goes true if they visit a website and they fill out a form and they put in a phone number or something on a website. You better have somebody call them within a couple minutes. Really important. I totally agree. One thing I want to suggest that you test, Justin, is try to, in your letters, I don't maybe you have tested this, but I found to be pretty successful. Instead of just having a phone number call, sometimes I'll say on there, um, call our 24-hour recorded message. I've, I've recorded a special message for you about our program or whatever. Call this 24-hour recorded voicemail. I find I get two to three times the calls when I do that. Really? Yes. Okay. Just test it. Because they know they're not going to answer, so they don't feel intimidated about calling. Right. But then don't give them any other options. Don't give them a website. What do you say on your recorded message? It's like a two-minute, three-minute long message that kind of just basically reiterates what a standard postcard says. Got Uh, it. Benefit, benefit, benefit. You know, we can help you sell your property fast so you don't have to pay any closing costs and we'll take care of whatever your problems are or whatever. It's just a simple outgoing message. Now, I've tested different things and I don't have any measurable results, but sometimes I'll have on my outgoing message, you know, if at any time during this message, press pound, 
to go right to the voicemail. But it's a simple 24-hour recorded message, about two minutes long. And then every call that comes in gets captured and put into the into the system. We use um, uh, CallRail and Vumber, and those calls get sent immediately to Podio. And my VA gets tasked, and he calls them back. We're not as good as you are with calling them back, but I'm working on that. The um, Now, some of my wholesalers are that we do marketing for, but that's another story. The thing that's powerful, though, is your if your postcard or your letter says, call this 24-hour recorded message, you get more calls. The other thing I'll mention is I have a, a friend, and, and I won't mention who his name is on the podcast, on all of his direct mail, he puts on there, call our 24-hour recorded voicemail, but he still has people answer live. And I thought, what? Why on earth would you do that? And he said, well, nobody really ever complains. Nobody really gets upset about it. He does know it gets more calls, number one. And he he's found that it's the the chances of getting a hold of it and talking to somebody is that much higher when you answer the phone live, so it's better. Anyway, something to chew on. Now, okay, so you have somebody that intakes all the calls. They make that initial call back. What are some of the questions they ask, Justin? Yeah, it, your typical questions, right? You know, um, thank you for calling. Um, you know, I want to know a little bit more about you. They they kind of go through who we are, right? So the first is, before I get to your home, would like to know a little bit. I would like to tell you a little bit more about us. We're a local cash investor investing in obviously your neighborhood. That's why you received the letter. Um, we are, uh, you know, cash investors that do very similar to what you see on TV, right? We buy it, we fix it up, make it look new and we resell it. You watch that, those shows too, right? Of course, everyone says yes. Um, okay. Well, just so you know that, um, you know, working with us, there's no commissions, there's no cost, there's no repair, blah, blah, blah. Well, now that you know what we do, can I ask you a little bit about yourself and why you have any interest in selling? Right. Oh, well, I'm not sure if I want to sell, but, you know, whatever the reason is. And then we say, okay, well, can I know a little bit more about your home? Um, you know, square footage, bed, bath, how old, what year, you know, and then some of the key questions I like to have them ask are, you know, to make this home in mint condition, how much do you think would need to be spent? Hmm. And it just starts to make the seller realize it would take a lot of money to make their home mint condition right and that they don't have it most often they don't have it or they simply don't even want to handle it so then i say you know what was one of the other questions that's a key question would be um when was the last time you updated the kitchen you know have you done new cabinets or new granite what was the last thing that you actually had to replace have you had to replace the air conditioning or um the roof right and so i ask those specific things to know exactly what i'm walking into so we'll already know that the home needs a lot of work, right? The home's gonna need a lot of money and then we'll play on the fact that the sellers most often are calling because they don't have the money to do it. You know, they either lost their job, someone passed away, someone's ill, um, they're downgrading, they're upgrading, they need the money for a new home, whatever that would be, and we come in there and we solve their issue. Simple. Yep. Okay, now your, your first guy takes the basic information does he make an offer or does he send the lead then to, I think you mentioned Danny. Does it yep. go, so it goes to, if the seller is, how does that work though? I mean, does he take the basic information, put it in Podio, and then your acquisitions manager gets all of those leads and calls them all back himself? Or 
Where's what happens then? Correct. So the Anthony, who's our lead manager, uh, vets them out to a certain point, right? Because okay. as you know, a lot of these people say, "Ah, oh, well, I just wanted to know the value of my home or whatever," right? They're not really motivated. Once there's a sense of motivation, then my lead manager Anthony will task and assign that property to our acquisition manager Danny, um, and he does that through Podio. And then it's up to Danny to call that seller back and set a time to meet. Okay. Now is Danny in Dallas or is he in Phoenix? He is in Phoenix. Okay. So Danny gets a motivated seller lead that Anthony has vetted. And by the way, is Anthony in Phoenix too? Yes, he is. Okay. Have you tried doing this with VAs in the Philippines? You know, I haven't. I know a lot of people who have. Okay. Then, so Anthony puts the information in Podio. He assigns a task to Danny. Danny gets notified, hey, there's a hot lead here. Danny calls them, and his job is to what? Try to... Make an Negotiate offer. the deal. Yeah. Like, for example, we're not going to change anything in our system. Um, reason being is it works here. So, obviously, we're going to be making a virtual offer um, and just say, you know, we obviously know where we're buying and what we're buying. And as long as the number makes sense for you, Mr. Seller, we're happy to give you this offer. Um, so, yes, Danny then is in charge of negotiating that deal with the seller and submitting an offer. Obviously, in Phoenix, he can do that face-to-face, -face, but starting in February, um, it will be virtual. So at that point, you need a very good relationship. You need to build a ton of rapport. Make them love you. Make them understand who we are, that we're here to be a service to them, so on and so forth. Okay. How do you play the game? How do you train your guys to play the game of, well, what do you want to, what, what's, what do you want to walk away with for your house? or how much cash do you want, or however you ask it. And they say, well, I don't know, just make an offer. How do you dance that game where you're trying to get a number from them, they don't give it to you? How do you do that? Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's like a dance, right? You keep yeah. saying that. it's like a tango or a salsa, right? It's that, right. you know, whose turn is it, and, you know, how do you spin that turn? And so it's it kind of depends on the person's personality. I mean, the, as you know, there's those – there's Men in general will be like, nope, I'm not saying anything until you give me a number. Nope, I'm not, you know, and it's just, okay, fine, right? Like, we're not going to play this game with you. Yeah. We'll give you a number. But what we'll do in those cases is we'll say, listen, um, you know, I haven't officially ran our numbers. I don't have any of my contractors in here giving me an official budget, you know, so I can be close to what I think. But at the same time, you have to give me some leniency on, you know, being able to work some numbers you know, here's the offer that I think we could give you today. Are we around your number? Right. And that's when people and, and we come across them as investors is you get that stubborn guy that literally just or female. Hey, yeah. I'm not giving you my number. You give it to me first. Well, fine. But you give an excuse on why the number comes in where it needs to be. Um, you know, and there's a lot of different ways that you could do that to say, listen, you know, I know I'm going to need to put about $60,000 into this. Mr. or Mrs. Seller, I would love to be able to give you a number, but if my number's not even close to where you're at or, or whatever, then let's just not waste each other's time. I am the one that's going to have to buy your home and then put the money into it. If you could just give me the respect of giving me a number that you would like, at least I know where we can be starting, right? Because everything's a negotiation, right, Mr. and Mrs. Seller? Yeah. So I kind of play on the fact that 
I'm the one spending all this money. And they start to realize that, right? They start to say, yeah, okay, I, I get it. You're going to have to come in here and redo our home. So, I like sometimes saying, listen, I, I know your time is valuable. I don't want to waste any more of your time. But just come on, give me a number that would make you happy. I like that kind of a question as well because it takes maybe a little bit of the pressure off, make a light joke out of it. And a lot of times, believe it or not, if for me and my experience, when I say just give me a number that will make you happy, that opens the door up a little bit more. And they'll give me a range after that. Yep. Or give me a there's, ballpark. There's another, there's another thing I'll say which is very similar, which is where I teach my guys to say now at this point, yeah. um, is, you know, Joe, in your ideal world, what would be the number that you'd want? Mm-hmm. You know, or what would be the number that you would be able to sign today in your ideal world? If this was a perfect world, what's that number look like? We all know it's not a perfect world, Joe, but hey, let's pretend it is. What's that number? Perfect world. Yeah. Same idea, right? It gives it lets their guard go down a little bit, right? Yeah, it's real simple. Just keep it conversational. And the key to this all is just listen. Listen, listen, listen. And stop talking so much. <laughs> I know. Amen to that. That's what I I, I, I need to remind myself. You're, you're right. And I need to remind myself of that a lot. Okay, so you've got uh, Anthony then who gets a number from the guy. And you find out, you know, there's some equity. He's motivated. Do you you send him the offer online, or do you schedule a time for your acquisitions guy, your boots on the ground guy, to go look at the house and make an offer in person? Yeah, I mean, obviously, here in Phoenix, in person's always better. Right. Um, but obviously, as you do this virtually, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Not until you build a team, at least one person who can at least go meet with the seller. But. Um, you know, we understand that that's not going to be the case as we do that in Dallas. So it'll get assigned over to Danny. And then in Phoenix, he will book an appointment to meet the seller. And in Dallas, he will simply build report, build report, build report, negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Seller, what's your ideal world? What's the ideal number? Let me see if I can get somewhere close and then we can kind of open up discussion, you know, and uh, send over the offer. Nice. Just say, hey, review the review the number, review the offer. It's very simple, clear cut. The number on there is the number that goes into your pocket, no fees, commissions, closing costs, or otherwise. And let's just set an appointment to discuss tomorrow about where we stand. Nice. You know our mutual friend Todd Toback. You know Todd, yeah. don't you? Of course. Um, he does something really ingenious. He actually sends a notary to the house. So if he's got the seller that says, yeah, okay and they kind of verbally accept the offer. He says, all right, well, I can get the notary there in about two or three hours. Is that okay? And if you go to 123notary.com, you can actually find notaries that are willing to travel and and go to homes. But it does a couple things. It gives that seller some urgency, a sense of urgency. Okay, somebody's going to be at my house in like two hours or three hours to sign the contract. It also, what it does is once that seller signs the contract, it 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 removes the it lessens the chance that they're going to start calling other wholesalers to get more pricing on it. Correct. You know what I'm saying? It gives them a more finality. This is a real contract. This is the real deal. And also because it's a notary, you know, the seller can't really negotiate or try to negotiate a lower or higher price with the notary. The notary is just there to get the paperwork signed. Right. But it, it gives a sense of urgency seriousness about the matter you get that contract signed as quickly as possible 
And the notary is not going to be able to answer any questions about the contract. It's just like ding dong, they knock on the door. Okay, here's the contract, sign it. Just giving it to the seller to sign, and that's it. It gets done. That I know for, um, I'm not doing that in any of my markets right now. I have my wholesalers on the ground actually go meet the person and per, meet the person at the house. You will close more deals if you can meet the seller face to face. But until then, don't think like you can't close a ton of deals and do a ton of deals with just virtually. So it's too easy sometimes for that contract to get lost in the mail, or you know if you're doing it online, sometimes they don't understand how to use Hello Sign or DocuSign. So for those of you out there thinking about doing something like this. Uh, just consider something like 123notary.com, finding some local notaries in that market that you're in, and just having the notary go to the house. It's not that expensive. Um, depending on the area that you're in, it could be anywhere from 20 to 50 bucks. The The other thing that I was thinking of while you were talking, Justin, is, and we were talking with Matt on my previous podcast about this, there's a service at wegolook.com. You can actually hire companies or uh, people to go look at houses for you and take pictures and fill out a, a, a report on the property. So that's something else you can, if you're doing deals in another market, you can have people do for you. Nice. So obviously Podio is managing all of this for you. Correct. And you're calling these leads back immediately. And I'm assuming Danny, as soon as he gets tasked in Podio, he's also calling them back pretty quickly. Correct. That is, I can't overstate the importance of that. So important. I can't tell you how many deals I've lost because my team hasn't called the seller back right away. And then it's been a day or two days, and I can look in the notes and I can see five times in a row, left message, left message, left message. You know, they're just for some reason really, really hard to get a hold of. What we sure. just, what we just started doing recently is, is my VA now who's making these calls. Um, he'll send a text message every time he leaves a voicemail. He'll text, send a text message to that same phone number. And that's been increasing and helping some of our response rate as well. The, um, I wanted to ask you about your boots on the ground, Justin. Yeah. Uh, you're, are you partnering with other wholesalers? Or are you, who is your boots on the ground in these markets that are going to look at the property? Yeah, we're going to work with other wholesalers. Um, we have a pretty good network. I know you do as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not really hard to find the right people to go be boots on the grounds for us. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to, you know, whether they're just beginning or, you know, maybe even a couple of our students who want to kind of get in the game and get paid anywhere from, you know, a thousand to five thousand dollars, depending upon the deal, you know, um, we definitely will have those boots on the ground. But working with other wholesalers, other investors, uh, realtors um, are a good option as well, especially hungry realtors. Um, they can also fit the bill, you know, because realtors have the same struggles we do when we're starting. It takes a lot of money and you have to build a name and kind of get good at a territory and an area. And, you know, while you're doing all that, you're working 100% commission. Uh -huh. So they'd be happy to, to help you out and try to get a deal done and get some money into the pocket. Nice. Can you talk a little bit about follow-up, Justin? Are you sending offers to these sellers after you talk to them? Yeah. You know, for, for Dallas, uh, it's pretty immediate. Obviously, we have to be on somewhat of the same page. We have to probably disclose to them a number, a roundabout number on the phone, obviously. Um, and so at that point, we got to do a little bit more virtual. But I mean, if, if, you, if you're, let's say they say no, or you're miles apart. They want 300000 and you're only willing to offer thirty. Okay. Do you still send something in the mail to them? Do you still follow up with those folks? 
Oh, of course, 100%. Okay. Um, here's what we have found. And I can tell because it literally has pissed me off towards the end of last year. So in June or July of last year, we had a deal that I think we offered $80,000 for. The seller said, no, I won't take anything less than like 120. Like we were off, right? We were nowhere near. Right. Um, and so we considered it dead, right? We tried to do what we could do. They wouldn't take less than 120. Well, we're $40,000 off. We're not even getting close. Marked it dead. Just by chance, I went in and started reviewing some of the dead deals. This property that I'm speaking about ended up selling uh, in November for $40,000. To somebody else. To somebody else. Oh. And it killed me to know that if we were just a little bit better on our follow-up, we could have gotten that property at even $60,000, right? Wow. If we were just a little bit faster, a little bit better. And so now I'm a stickler um, about follow-up. I don't care how far off we are. Deals do not go dead until literally the person is cussing us out saying, go to hell. Yeah. I mean, they don't go dead. You need to have a follow-up at very minimum once a month for every single lead that comes through our pipeline. I don't care how it starts. It's all about how it finishes. And the, you know... The the how's the saying go? The fortune is in the follow up. Oh yeah, your follow up is your best list ever. There is no more list more valuable. There's no other list more valuable than your follow up list. Correct. And I and the longer I've been doing this, the, the I'd say 50 percent of our deals are f- from the follow up. People who said no at one time. So what does your follow up look like, Justin? What do you send them? Well, if it's virtual, we obviously will send them an offer immediately just because we want them to know we're serious, that we weren't just you know giving them lip service. Yeah. Um, then our follow-up is more phone calls at this point. Um, we will send them you know a letter every two months um, to let them know we're still around, but we still want to be, you know, I'm a big stickler on, I, I kind of grew up in the sales world before real estate. When I left college, I went into sales and it's all about that human connection and all about that rapport. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of people that do email drips. I know there's a lot of people that follow up with letters. Um, I'm more concerned with building that rapport and physically being someone that they can call or answer the phone to. So our follow-up primarily is on the phone and over the phone. Until we get so many leads in there that it's physically unable to happen, um, we are sticklers to keeping it over the phone. Nice. We do that as well. Our follow-up consists more of just the uh, sending letters. We also try to, um, well, I leave it up to my VA because my VA put a lot of times we'll set up reminders for him to call them back in three weeks and three months. And so he's constantly, that's a beautiful thing about Podio is you set up the task and it reminds you later on when it's supposed to happen. It's, it's all about no leads left behind or not letting any. That brother, there should be, you know what? That should be our podcast. Joe and Justin do no leads left behind. No leads left behind. I like it. I like that a lot. And I wish I could say I came up with that. But that was, again, Todd Toback. That's his well, big hey, mantra. Give credit where credit's due. He's a great guy. Great investor. Great guy as well. Yeah. Cool. I was just talking to him last night. He bought a Suburban. Finally. I've been bugging him about that because he needs a bigger car. He's been driving this minivan with his kids and... So finally, he uh, he bought one. In fact, he said, he texted me a picture of the car, and behind the car was a big parking garage. And he asked me, he said, hey, well, he said in the text, um, hey, look what I bought. 
And I replied back, the parking garage? Question mark. And uh, it was kind of funny. He said, no, I should have actually bought the parking garage. <laughs> he gets a better ROI financially with the parking garage. But anyway, he gets better memories with his kids in the Suburban. All right, I digress. Sorry about that. Uh, so, okay, I love the follow-up because that's so important, and I talk about it a lot, and I hope everybody listening to this gets a clue how important the follow-up is. One more thing I want to ask you about, Justin, because you're doing these offers. You know, Virtually, you're, you're in Phoenix, and you're making offers on properties hundreds or thousands of miles away. How are you coming up? How are you calculating the offers? Do you have a simple formula? Is it complicated? What? How are you calculating offers? Yeah, so it – so specifically, if we're dealing with the the hedge funds, which are a lot of our buyers in Dallas, uh-huh. um, it's going to fit into their box. Okay, so I'm looking more uh, cap rate or the yield that they'd be getting on an annual basis. Can you give us an example? So one of the I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just I, yeah, I, I think it's so key because, and I learned a lot of this from Kent Clothier. You talked about him. Um, yeah. He's one of the. He, I can't tell you how much I've learned from him. It's the guy's awesome, but I. Uh, I, I read and devoured his reverse wholesaling book and his stuff on cash buyers. And it's all about reverse engineering the process, right? You find right. out what your buyers want. It's simple as that. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. So you found, out, you found out the numbers that your buyers will buy these properties for. That's how you come up with your numbers. So give us an example, please. Yeah. So for the hedge funds, a lot of them will work on like about a 6% yield, maybe a little bit less. What that really means is when they invest their money, acquisition, and any repair costs, how much return on investment are they getting? And because the hedge funds have millions and billions of dollars, 6% of $10 billion is $600,000. Well, $600 million is, no, wait. $10 billion would be $6 million, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. that. It's a, um, it's a big number. I get your it's point. It's a huge number. Right, right, and right. so they can work off very skinny margin relative to you and I. Okay. So I just need to know their six, you know, what their yield needs to be um, and what they're calculating, meaning, you know, how much are they looking to spend in rehab budget and, you know, what are they looking to spend in acquisition cost and in what zip codes. And at that point, I can do exactly what Kent has taught hundreds of thousands of people um, is reverse engineer it. I know exactly what they want and I go find it. Okay. Now that's how I work with the hedge fund. I know exactly what their numbers need to be. I know how much money they need to make on their investment. You know, the home needs to be built because they only buy newer homes. They don't really buy anything older in 1990. Yeah. Um, you know, I know all that and I just go find it for them, fulfill it. Obviously, the deeper discount I can get, the better. So let's say the hedge fund would buy it at a $200,000. Um, and it gives them their 6% yield, and I can negotiate with the seller for 180, well, I'm going to make 20 grand. But at the same token, if I can negotiate it to 197 and I make three grand and just assign it to them, but they want 20 of those a month, well, what's three grand times 20? Yeah. 60 grand, right? So working with the funds has been very profitable for me because it's very easy to reverse engineer it or reverse wholesale it where I know exactly what they want, where they want, and how much they'll spend. And you're basing these these yields, 6% cash on cash return or whatever, ROI, on the rent. So that's kind of where you start from, right? You figure if this rent, this house will rent for 1200 a month, you work backwards from there. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We have the three, the three things that we have is acquisition budget, rehab budget, and the rent of that area. 
and we work off that. Okay. In places like Dallas, it can vary. Um, Phoenix is pretty standard, but Dallas can vary from like 80 cents a square foot um, all the way up to like $1.25 a square foot in a very specific neighborhood. So, but these properties that these hedge funds are buying, they're buying them to rent. They're not buying them to fix and flip. Isn't that right? That is correct. Okay. So when you're calculating 6% yield, that's what they want to be all in. They want to be making at least 6% on their money. So you're like, you're taking the annual rent, you're taking out property management, you're taking out vacancies, repairs, maintenance, things like that, right? Yep. Then you're taking out um, rehab costs and acquisition costs. And you're also taking out whatever wholesale fee you want to make on the deal. There you go. And then that's, that's how you, and then you divide that number by 6% or something like that. And that's how you come up with your offer for that house, right? Yeah. You, you look at how much money they've put into it, which would be acquisition and rehab. Right. Um, you multiply how much money in rent that they would get times 10. Because mostly they always um, allow for two months of vacancy a year. Okay. Right. And then you're going to be able to get your cap rate. Right. Because you divide how much rent they're making a year towards divided by how much money they put into it. Now, that's the easy way to do it. But, some funds, you know, want you to adjust for taxes and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Some don't care. Some just say, give us two months of vacancy and that will be good enough. And they manage their own properties, though? They manage their own properties. Well, there you go. Nice. Obviously, now, you don't know that unless you ask them and you talk to them, right? Correct. Correct. You need to know a lot about them, you know, and you need to... Like I say, I'm like their personal shopper. You tell me what you want, I'll go get it for you. Nice. That's who we are, right? Um, if you're fl if you're finding deals for a wholesaler, or I'm sorry, a fix and flipper, um, my uh, formula is very quite simple. I take the ARV, which is after repair value. I multiply it times 75%. Mm -hmm. I subtract my estimated rehab. And then I subtract what I want to make as a wholesaler. Yep. And that's it. And, you know, I know there's parts of California. I'm sure you have plenty of people listening to you in California and New York. And, you know, 75% is just too low. And I get that. So it's not going to be a complete blanket, but it's a foundation. You know, if you're in California, let's say you're in Northern California, I know it's an incredibly hot market. You might need to be at 85% of ARV. Yeah. Um, but for me in Phoenix and in Dallas, it's 75%. And then how do you quickly calculate repairs? Do you have a magic formula for that? Yes. I would say um, anything older than 1980, you're looking at about $20 a square foot for Dallas and Phoenix. Okay. Um, anything 1980 to 19 to 2000, you're probably talking about $15 a square foot. Anything 2000 or newer, you're probably talking $10 a square foot. Now, that's because our markets are similar in price. But if you are going to do this virtually and you're going to Chicago, mm -hmm. the only real way to do that is to start calling contractors. And you might have some other ways, Joe, but if I were you, I'd suggest you start calling contractors in that area and start talking numbers. Mm -hmm. How much is it for you to redo a complete kitchen, you know, that's 500 square feet? You know, how much, you know, start talking numbers and start learning the area and learning what contractors charge. How much do you charge an hour to install cabinets? How much do you charge an hour to paint? How much do you charge an hour for this? And start writing those down and documenting it. And so you can have a general gist of number 
that will work for those areas because you know even in Phoenix you might buy a hundred thousand dollar home and spend a hundred thousand dollars on rehab if you really wanted to right travertine tile and yeah Italian marble I mean you could do whatever you wanted right but you know the reality is there's a basic look for every region there's a basic model and you just got to learn that through your contractors I think the point we need to make clear to people especially if you're new and getting started it's easy to get overwhelmed with all of this stuff that you got to figure out but it's really I tell people look if it's close just get it under contract because you can always renegotiate it later and you shouldn't be spending a ton of time trying to calculate the ARV, trying to figure out what the rent would be, and looking at a ton of comps, and then doing de- detailed uh, uh, rehab estimates when you don't even have it under contract yet. And a lot of times investors, I think you'd agree, Justin, use that as a crutch or an excuse not to call the seller, right? Or to to wait two or three days before you call the seller back with an offer. I was just talking to Matt Terrio, and I really like how he does it. When he's estimating repairs, depending on the market that he's in and the price range that he's targeting, he just has a simple five $10, $5 a square foot if it's no rehab, and these are only rentals. So this is a rental rehab, okay? Um, $5 a square foot for no rehab, $10 a square foot for little rehab, and maybe 15 to $20 for major rehab, just to get it rent ready. And that's a simple little calculation that takes 30 seconds to do. My point is don't overthink it, don't overanalyze it, if you have a hard time getting comps, just use the Zillow value, right? Right. Just use a Zillow value um, and, and throw a number 70, maybe 75, 80% of that, depending on where you are, and subtract your wholesaling fee, subtract a basic $5, 10 $15 per square foot price for repairs, and make the offer. Just make the offer. You, you, the, your, the, your success in this business is determined by a couple things. One of them, how many leads that you have coming in, so how much marketing you do. And then almost equally as important, how many offers you make. And you've got to be making offers. I, I love how you've just systemized this and you've formulated, you, you've created formulas so that it just gets done automatically. And um, it's just, it's so easy to duplicate. Yeah, that's that's exactly the, the cloth I was cut from. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, hey, so Justin, how can people get a hold of you? They know how to look for your podcast, Science of Flipping. Is it the scienceofflipping.com? Is that your podcast website? Yeah, they can go to the scienceofflipping.com, but they can also give me an email, the direct email, info at the scienceofflipping. Okay. .com, info at the scienceofflipping.com. And just because um, I know how loyal your listeners are and, and how great it is, I wanted to be able to give them um, a free gift today. Nice. And uh, it's you've already told them where to go to get that free gift. Um, I have a book on Amazon that is currently selling each and every day for twelve ninety nine. Wow! Uh, it's called The Science of Flipping. How strange. <laughs> um, and every day people are buying it on Amazon. And because you are Joe McCall, the master uh, wholesaler, I wanted to give that book to your listeners for free. Nice. So um, just put in your info, info and I will give you that $12.99 or $12.99 book for free. It is the science of flipping. And this is the book that I get my students just talking about how it's changed their game. You know, every, you know, I get people who aren't even my students saying, I bought your book. It's incredible. The golden nuggets in each and every chapter. You know, th- this is uh, what I put together after about six, seven years of uh, running this business. And so, again, I'm going to give that to your loyal listeners for free at thescienceofflipping.com. 
thescienceofflipping.com. I'm looking at Amazon here, and did you know there's a, you know how you can sell used books on Amazon? Uh-huh. Uh, the cheapest price for the a used book is $33.51. <laughs> so people are selling your book used plus four bucks in shipping. So they're selling them used for like $38. Yeah, I'm telling I that's crazy. They're making money off of me. Maybe I should be selling it for $35 or whatever, but maybe you should be selling your books as used books and not as new. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm selling them too cheap. I'm discounting myself, right? But um that's you know, I, I can't get enough. There's so many emails that come in each and every day and just saying thank you and the book's been amazing. So, I just want to make sure your listeners get it for free. Um even if they just get one golden nugget out of it, uh it's worth it to them. Okay, cool. Now you gave the email address. Would you rather them email you or just go to your website? Just go to my website, thescienceofflipping.com and uh, put in your info and I'm happy to, to get that book to you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Justin. I sure appreciate it. Guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. If you've liked this show, leave us a review on iTunes and um, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Justin. See you, bud. Bye-bye.